introverted noise. Hurry up, Daddy. All right, we are back with another episode of the Pocket Protector Podcast. I am your host, Jason Brown. You can find me on Twitter at BrownJason. And I'm here with two of the smartest people on all of the internet, but in different locations. I'm going to start off with my man, Dr. Eric Goatee Eager. How you doing, my man? How you been? Man, I'm, you know, the last time we hung out, I think the season was far more in peril. Uh, the idea that a college football game would have happened even since the last time we chatted, a little bit of a long shot. So I'm doing okay. Uh, you know, things are things are the, in a grind trying to get ready. You know, we only have, geez, what is it, eight days after today um, before the first game. But, man, I'm excited. It, it almost feels normal. That seems crazy. Have, have your Chiefs signed Leonard Fournette yet? Because I know that's probably the move you're looking for them to make right there. Well, they, they need to collect LSU running backs. It's a championship caliber uh, team. So, Yeah, you <laughs> that championship pedigree. Obviously, it's going to elevate things, and, and your team will be able to repeat. I understand that. And my man, also doctor, Nick, <laughs> reporting from the beach. How you doing? How you been? Technically a doctor, which is the best kind of doctor. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm good, man. I'm good. I'm, I'm coming to you live from the ocean. So if you hear that in the background, hope it's uh, relaxing and not annoying. Um, Vikings have made some big moves, kept things interesting as always. So I'm feeling good, man. All right. Well, let us jump right to it. Uh, full disclosure, guys, the reason that I asked about this first question a couple, couple probably a week ago, week or so ago, uh, was because I just finished the book, Anti-Fragility. And so, figured I would ask, got these smart gentlemen here, are the Vikings, with Kirk at quarterback, a fragile team or an anti-fragile team? And you both had some pretty interesting things to say. So, Eric, I guess first I'll throw it to you. I'll give you the hard question because you are not lounging next to the beach right now with a beer in your hand. Uh, when you think about a team being fragile or anti-fragile from an NFL perspective, I guess, what are the things that come to mind? And, like, how do you want to build, you know, an anti-fragile team? Yeah, I mean, in my, in my estimation, you look at the weak link system. So the weak link systems in NFL, from what I can tell, uh, are the defensive backfield or coverage, namely, um, and then the offensive line. I mean, basically anywhere where the other team um, attacks you, and you are sort of stationary, and that's not necessarily true about coverage, but, you know, the other team forces, you know, throws the ball where they want to throw it, and on the defensive line, linemen line up where they want to line up. So, <clears throat> the, you know, the, the idea here is like, well, if they can, you know, it, essentially, 
if there's a weak link that an offense can exploit in the secondary, that's bad. If there's a weak link on the offensive line that a team can, let's say, like slide a guy inside to go against your weakest guard, that's a that's an issue as well. So when I look at Minnesota, you know, they have some strong links in the secondary, but it's unclear to me whether their weakest link is good enough to be a championship caliber defense. And then when I look at their offensive line, they have some strong links, you know, Brian O'Neill for one, you know, but it's unclear to me. And it's also why, you know, if everything does go right, it's why an offense can be functional with a guy like Riley Reef at left tackle. But when I look at, you know, Samia and I look at, uh, you know, I, I look at Elfline, I look at Bradbury, even Reef, like, those are a lot of links that can be weak. And so when I look at them, I think of them as more fragile than anything, unfortunately, even though they have a ton of stars on their team. Yeah. And so, Nick, I guess I'll throw it to you. So in a situation like this where the Vikings, to say on offense, have potentially some weak links, you've, um, you know, as I said, you are now the, the number one card-carrying member of the Kirk Cousins is maybe elite fan club. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> Yeah, it can some other places because I know one of the things Eric had talked about, you know, you know, last year with the Chiefs and then Mahomes, like their offensive line was kind of pieced together. They had some good tackles. The guys in the middle were kind of cast off from other places. When you look at what we have, you know, at quarterback, because it all always does come back to, to that guy. Um, does Kirk Cousins bring anything that one might be able to to look at as, you know? you know, a mask for some of those deficiencies or does he bring anything that maybe would, you know, add a measure of anti-fragility to the Vikings team where, you know, he can just kind of throw the team on his back on occasion and and kind of carry them where they need to go. Yeah, it's a really interesting question. You think of guys like Kirk, you think of coaches like Zimmer as as guys who are who are going to be good, but they're not going to be Super Bowl level good. You know, they're, they're not going to they're not going to go six and ten necessarily but they're probably not going to go 13 and three uh, unless some serious luck breaks their way so that's the way i normally think about but but you know thinking about can kirk cousins carry a bad supporting cast well last year you know Diggs uh, Diggs was the only nfl caliber wide receiver thielen was injured a good chunk of the year uh kirk wound it up with i think the fourth highest or fifth highest rated passing grade um and his receivers ranked ninth so he outperformed his receivers which was big um, and then his pass protection ranked like 27th. So a, a lot of that had to do with the scheme and the play action and, and the way they sort of schemed up uh, Cousins' deep shots, uh, gave, gave him some time to throw with what they were doing there. Um, but I think that will carry over next year too because it's the same system with Kubiak. So I'm thinking about all that to say, I, I, I think the Vikings are in a, the situation where things can go catastrophically bad and they can also break really well if things go the right way because you've got so much roster turnover you have a new offensive coordinator you've got Kubiak uh, same system but who knows if Kubiak is you know the NFL has gone past him or if he's still the you know the 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 one of the big smart wide zone play action guys um, you've got a lot you know you've got all these new rookie cornerbacks who typically suck but if they hit the ground running and Smith and Kendricks and Anthony Harris and Daniil Hunter and now Ngakwe and everybody hit, can contribute, then, you know, you can see situations where um, that's a bad defense, but you can also see situations where that's one of the better defenses in the NFL, especially with Zimmer. Same thing on the offense, you know. You can see situations where, you know, Thielen returns to 2018 levels where he's like a top 10 receiver, Justin Jefferson. Maybe he contributes. Maybe B.C. Johnson takes a leap. That's kind of the report we're seeing out of camp. Um, and maybe they can scheme around the offensive line. 
but you can also see a situation where, you know, like in 2018, where TJ Clemmings was just so bad and the offensive line was so bad and they were so banged up and injured that they just couldn't get anything going. And the offense was kind of dead on arrival. So uh, it's, it's interesting because at first glance, I think you don't think of them as, um, as, as having, you know, you kind of see them as, you know, a floor of seven and seven and nine and a ceiling of 11 and five. But I think if you look at all the roster turnover, the coach turnover, all the different variables that go into it, I think there's a big uh, amount of unpredictability. Yeah, so Eric, two questions for you. First, because uh, Nick mentioned, you know, Kubiak, and I know that's something that we've also talked about with like that pairing of, you know, Kubiak and Zimmer and, you know, kind of that brain trust and what they might be able to be with the Vikings. So I guess the first question for you, Eric, is, as you kind of look at the coaching that the Vikings have, how you expect that to be a factor for them as we, we roll into the season? And then obviously another point that Nick brought up there as he was talking about the team, something you also mentioned, is just the uncertainty that you have in the defensive backfield and how that's going to be tested. And I guess maybe we can just use that to segue us into, you know, you know our, our favorite, one of our favorite topics, coverage versus pass rush, because, you know, the Vikings went and, I guess tried to help their secondary by trading for a young up-and-coming pass rusher um, in Yannick Ngakwe. So, yeah, curious to get your thoughts on, on those two things and, and how you see them playing out for, for the Vikings this year. Yeah, I mean, the Vikings have had good offensive line play relative to expectations in 17 and 19. I think a lot of that is the you know offensive line coaching being able to patch up some of those weaknesses. And I think the same thing is true about secondary play. When you have you know good coaching, that can cover up a lot. So, if if a other and a, another team was in this situation, then I think that it would be a you know there would be a similar sort of like I would I would be more pessimistic about another team who had the same problems that the Vikings have a corner. So I you know I always pack in a little bit of optimism with respect to Zimmer, but you know, the hard part is is you know when you look at like are our expectations inflated with Minnesota? I mean, last season they got to play six or seven, like what I would consider quarterbacks that aren't even starting caliber this season. And that's not even counting Mitch Trubisky. You know, that's not counting, you know, some of the guys who are borderline, like they played David Blau, they played Brandon Allen, they played Chase Daniel, they, you know, Matt Moore, like they, they had a number of, and when they faced Dak Prescott, when they faced, Russell Wilson, Stafford, those guys put up a lot of yards. And so when I look at their schedule now, I see Packers week one, Philip, you know, I see, you know, Rogers week one, Philip Rivers week two, Ryan Tannehill led the NFL in passing week three, Deshaun Watson week four, Russell Wilson week five, Matt Ryan, who I know the Vikings have had his number, but he's still a really good quarterback. That's week six, then Aaron Rodgers, then Stafford. So that's the first eight weeks of the year. They get a little bit of a break with Chicago and then they have Dak. And then they have Teddy, who God knows Teddy's thrown for 303 against the Vikings. It's just whether or not they can outscore the Panthers in that game. Um, and, and then they close with Tom Brady, Drew Brees, and Stafford again. So the question is, like I've always said this this offseason, they have to get better just to stay the same. And like it, it's that that's really the, the tricky thing there it, is sort of, um, you know, when I look at them, I, I think that they'll do, they would do better than other teams in these circumstances, but their circumstances are so tough and so difficult to overcome that, that, you know, uh, that, that I, it always lowers my expectation for them. Oh, that's fair. And I guess, you know, Nick, with, with, with that, like they have to get better just to stay the same. I guess when you stack this team up versus like last year's team, 
uh, yeah, I guess we, we can kind of focus in on the areas that, that Eric was talking about when you look at, you know, like the weak lick systems on the Vikings, like the secondary, the offensive line. How confident are you that, you know, either of those areas are, you know, better or considerably better than they were, you know, going into last season? Yeah, it's, it's hard to make the argument that they're better. Like the offensive line, currently it, the guards on the Vikings are Pat Elfline and Dakota Dozier. Pat Elfline is the best guard on the Vikings roster right now, <laughs> which goes to say what bad shape they're in right now. Uh, you can make the argument that continuity matters. And, you know, with, with Dennison and Kubiak's system, you don't need all pros. You just kind of need guys. Uh, and, and and the continuity helps, but it's really hard to argue just from a talent perspective uh, that they're better. You know, Reed, I'm glad to have him back at a pay cut, but, you know, he's he's their second best guy, and he's like a borderline starter quality type guy. So uh, you, the thing you hope for is O'Neal makes a leap from good to great. You hope that Bradbury makes a leap from uh, very poor, but but flashes of promising to actually solid, starting to put it together. And we see that frequently from – from especially at like the like like Frank Ragnow was was pretty bad his his rookie year comes out he might have had a position switch too but now he looks like a really good player so um and and, and, and Timo Risky had um had a good article about how offensive linemen um you know kind of at, at the center at guard positions interior offensive line to make a leap in their second or third year um so you know there's some reason for for hope but I just don't know. This is a more talented team. I mean, you lost everything. Griffin, you replaced him with Yannick Ngakwe. That's great. But you also lost Stephen Weatherly. Um, you, you lost a number of guys. Uh, you lost everybody in the secondary. And as, you know, as, as hype as I am about Dantzler's praise in camp, um, you know, he's a rookie. Rookies make mistakes. They're, they're coverage breakdowns. Zimmer runs a very complex system, and I'm sure he'll do things to help them out there. But, you know, I'm, we're going to see growing pains. And, and so I, I, I would tamper expectations a little bit just based on – you know, there, there's been so much turnover. There's been such a shortened off season. There's not a lot of time to get things, all, everybody on the same page. So it's going to be tough. There's going to be growing pains, and the schedule doesn't help them. So we'll see how it goes. But I'm expecting some bumps in the road early on. So, Eric, what do you make of Flip's argument that from a secondary perspective, even though they're bringing in all these rookies, um, that Xavier Rhodes was just so bad last year and in particular when we talk about the Packers and the matchup against you know Devontae Adams and what Adams was able to do when matched up with Rhodes one-on-one that like there's nowhere to go but up given how bad Xavier Rhodes was last year I guess how how, does does that hold up that because our secondary just wasn't actually as good as maybe we're accustomed to thinking it was that the drop-off potentially to these rookies isn't going to be as precipitous as maybe we're thinking it is because the secondary was just not good last year. Yeah. I mean, that's reasonable. I mean, the only, the only comeback is that if they had the secondary that they had last season, they probably would have not been the defense that they were had they needed to face the schedule that they're facing this year. So yeah. And I push back a little bit on that just in the sense of when you look at Trey Waynes, Trey Waynes was not a good corner and he was not worthy of the 11th pick. And he certainly, you know, had his moments of, you know, good and bad. But it actually, like, from a prior distribution, like, it's, it's unreasonable to assume a third-round pick is going to be able to perform at that level consistently. I mean, we could see it sometimes. I mean, I, I'm, you know, we're all old enough to remember when Chris Cook was 
the star of training camp in 2010 and then you know he gets hurt or you know and you know but they had to shut him down and he was never really any good for the vikings he had some spurts in 2012 so we just have to be careful i mean even gladney i think like if he performs at trey wayne's level i think as a rookie we should all be happy and that's just one of the three positions and, you know, when and Mackenzie Alexander was a pretty good nickel, I, I know, you know, Sendejo for one game, they're able to, you know, move around him a little bit. Um, but for a whole season when, when you know, your nickel, like they don't have anybody who's played a lot of nickel snaps. So, it, it, and that's a position where you have to sort of like be acclimated to that, the way Mackenzie Alexander was at Clemson. So that's really where I, I get, yeah, I agree. Like replacing Rhodes might be trivial. He was a below replacement level player last year, mathematically, but everything else is, is a lot harder than I think people realize. I don't think the Vikings make the trade for unique and If they're confident about their level of cornerback play going into the season. The reason you make that move is because you really need to feel confident that you have multiple guys who can get to the quarterback. And you're not asking your guys to go out there and cover. And remember, Zimmer already has transitioned to a system where he drops back both safeties into coverage. That's pretty rare in the NFL today where so many people follow the Pete Carroll model of cover three or cover one or you to have one guy middle of the field closed coverage. Um, and you ask your corners to do a little bit more. Zimmer did the opposite last year. and He's done the opposite since, since after the Rams game 2018. So for you know, almost two years now, you know, he drops both safeties back. He likes to drop them both back and cover four or cover two or cover six. So um that that whole system basically asks your corners to do a lot less and so we're already bringing back anthony harris then you know on the eve of the season starting we trade for a very very good pass rusher that's great but it's also a signal that simmer's a little worried about i think about how the corners are going to hold up so i think there's reasons you know it's exciting to have new faces in there and to be you know excited about their upside long term but you know rookie cornerbacks especially all rookies tend to not be very good but rookie cornerbacks especially I think, struggle to hit the ground running. And in Zimmer's system where he's so reluctant to start them early because his, he runs more complex covered shells than pretty much anybody, it's a lot to expect them to, you know, do well out of the gate, especially, you know, at a level of like Trey Waynes, who was, you know, he wasn't good, um, but he, he certainly wasn't, you know, below replacement level. So, and, you know, Mackenzie Alexander, he was good too. So these are, these are not, the, the play weight maybe was unimpressive last year, but it can still be worse, I guess. So Nick, uh, I guess talk to me about your 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 theory that the Vikings are are in essence. I mean, they would never say this, but maybe punting on this season or making moves that aren't necessarily as much about the season that we're going into as much as they are maybe a season from now. Yeah, I don't think they're tanking this year, but I I think what they're doing is they're looking at this year and saying, well, we could go all in this year and sacrifice, you know, our chances of winning a championship next year. You know, I like to talk about like winning the Super Bowl in terms of probability. So if like, they've got like a 2% chance of winning the Super Bowl this year, they don't want to drive that down to zero. They're not exactly tanking, but you know, they're making moves that, you know, they'll, they'll, they'll accept like a, you know, a 2% chance or whatever this year. So that they can have like a 5% chance the year after, or like a 6% chance in 2022 or whatever. And the, I think that's the, the logic behind, you know, things like, contemplating cutting Riley Reef, you know, he's, 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 you know, well, he ended up coming back, but the, the, the logic is, you know, would you rather invest $11 million into Riley Reef this year or use that $11 million to retain Anthony Harris the next year or whatever um, you trade for unique and you 
know, that makes your team better this year, but he's also 25 years old and you're looking to maximize that window down the road as well. So, you know, I, I think they're, they're trying to, all the moves they've made off season have been with the logic of where, you know, we're not going to, we're, we're retooling on the fly. We're not going to try and just hunt on this season. We're not tanking. We're still going to try and be competitive, but we're making moves with a long-term goal of being contending in the next year and the year after. And if things go break, you know, if they get really lucky this year, they don't want to squander that, but they're still going to be doing things like trading away digs and, um, you know, trading away other assets and, and cutting Everson Griffin, letting him walk and letting their all three starting cornerbacks walk with the goal of we're going to retool, we're going to get younger, and we're going to build a young core that hopefully, you know, maximizes our long-term potential of winning games while still, you know, trying to put something competitive together in case things break the right way this year. Right. That's my theory. I don't know if it's true, but that's... that's it it sounds good. It sounds good. So, Eric, if you were advising the Vikings in this plan that, that Nick has laid out and convincingly to me that maybe it's not just about this season, but they are more so maybe building for, for something long-term and understanding um, you know, something that, that you actually already wrote about, that, you know, like the, the interplay of all the pieces and how they have to work together. And, you know, now that some of the pieces around Kirk aren't what they used to be, maybe he's going to have to elevate some things in ways that he hasn't consistently done, we'll say, throughout the course of his career. What would you advise them in terms of maybe some moves that they would make, not maybe not this season, but as they rolled into the next season to, to continue to maximize this window, as Nick said? Yeah, I mean, it's really just – to me, it's difficult because, you know, when you, when you see these teams on the rebuild, you have to pair contracts. And I see them doing that a little bit. Like, O'Neal, his contract is being paired with Kirk in, in the sense of, like, you have one low-paid guy at a valuable position and one high-paid guy. You know – but when when does the when does the Super Bowl window happen? It, this is what I always have a hard time with with their rebuild, is, or whatever they're doing. Because Kirk is a quarterback that I don't think will. As much as I joke, I think the 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 lower limit is six and ten, so that doesn't get you in position to take somebody good. Like they they've never been in position to take a good quarterback except for in 2012. And even then they would have had to trade up and, and it was a ransom like 20, 2012 or yeah, 2011. It was, it was uh, ponder, but that was like a re that was, you know, you're taking the fourth quarterback, which is never good. You know, Bridgewater in 14 was a lucky, like it, it went from being lucky to unlucky very quickly, but like those quarterbacks in those areas don't end up panning out as we're probably going to see with, you know, everybody but Lamar Jackson basically. And so when I look at this, I'm thinking, what's the out, you know, like when do they get to a position where they're, they have a bunch of really good veterans and they pair that with the rookie deal quarterback and that's really where you see the rollover, the returns, because that's, that's what you saw in Kansas City. That's what you saw in Seattle back in the day. That's what you see you saw in L.A. And, like, all of those teams even, quarterbacks kind of plus or minus Kirk, are struggling now. Like, Seattle has to mortgage the future for Jamal Adams. Uh, the L.A. Rams, I don't think, are in a position to win anymore. You know, Kansas City has to thread a really – you know, thin needle and they have the best player in the NFL. So like, to me, that's what I get. So I, I think the Vikings need to be open to the possibility that if a season isn't a playoff level season and they find out six games in 
they have to shut Kirk down and play for a high draft pick. That to me is like the way out of this and everything else. So, and I think that they're, they're playoff caliber, but they're also caliber of not being very good. What I don't want them to do is in those seasons where it's clear that they're not very good to strive for seven and nine. That's that to me is like what I think would be the worst thing. So you, you don't want more of the Adrian Peterson seasons is what you're telling me? Where yeah, because like it just never it just never ended, right? Like they, they went yeah. with I mean it was it was what it was it was T Jack and Brooks Bollinger and Kelly Holcomb and Sage Rosenfels and yeah, obviously they got Favre and that they lucked into that, right? Like that situation doesn't arise very much. It might now more with more guys, you know, this season was a lot more Farbian sort of guys moving teams. But then after that it was like, okay, McNabb. Uh, ponders the one shot we're taking, and he stunk. So then it's Matt Castle, and then after that it's 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 Bridgewater. But then Bridgewater gets hurt, and then they got to mortgage the future for Sam Bradford. And then you know, so and then it gets us to Kirk here, where it's like, yeah, Kirk's good enough to kind of like keep your fan base engaged. But this is an engaged fan base. Like if if the Vikings had like three or four years of being worse than Detroit, they would still be here. That's what I don't get. Like that's what I don't understand about the Vikings. It's like, I can see them being good, but I can also see them being meh. And if they're meh, it's going to be for reasons. Why, you know, it's going to be for reasons I don't think are solvable. All right. Well, one of the things, I don't know if it was solved necessarily, but I guess maybe it was a new hole in the dam that didn't need to, to get plucked. Like that Riley reef for a moment looked like he was gone. And now he's back. And as Nick said, uh, second best offensive lineman, barely starter quality. <laughs> um, Eric, you've talked about it. And actually, I don't know who it was, but I saw someone else with your quote on, uh, on Twitter earlier today where, you know, it's uh, the, the gap between average and elite for offensive line, not that big, but going from really bad to just average, you know, that's really where you, where you make your money. And so with Reef coming back, um, and, you know, with the possibility of some of these young players improving, I guess, what are your thoughts on that with Riley Reeve coming back now at a discounted rate? Um, yeah, I guess, what are your projections? Like, what are your thoughts for this offensive line more holistically now that we haven't, like, we aren't doing the thing that we all thought was going to be happening with a full-fledged offensive line shuffle eight days from the season starting? Uh, with no preseason, which worked out the last time, right? When they cut Alex Boone in for uh, was it Nick Easton, and then they they kind of rearranged things. That ended up being okay. Um, it could go either way, right? I mean, I mean, when you look at their their schedule again, so you, I mean, you look at their schedule, and you know, Packers have a pretty stout front four. Colts have DeForest Buckner, Justin Houston. Titans are not that great. Texans have Watt, um, you know, Seahawks, you know, maybe they'll get clowny back. You know what I mean? Like, I, I don't think that their schedule is as hard, you know, on the offensive line as it is on the defensive backfield. Um, and I think that continuity really helps. I think the, the coordinator does a really good job of, you know, getting them into place, but they're not going to be in as many play action positions. They're not going to be as, a, as ahead as much They're You know, cook is probably going to regress a little bit. So, I, I'm I like I said I have the Vikings favored to win the NFC North. All of this put you know I have about thirty seven percent. I got the Packers at thirty five. I think, um, but I, there's a I think that there's some tail risk. Say that again. 
Not the Lions? Who are the you? Lions are no longer, the Lions aren't even a good value to win the NFC North anymore. If you, if you go on the betting market, plus, plus, they were plus 900, which is absurd, plus, plus 6 or 700 is fine, plus 500 is, I think, about break even. So the markets have certainly responded to our movement um, with them. So, yeah. Um, I, I was listening to the Athletic Podcast, and I think Nate Tice compared it to like, you know, it's like when – a draft guy you really liked in the third round is now being hyped as a first rounder. And you're like, I don't know about that. I thought that was a great analogy. <laughs> right. So that, yeah, that's the tricky thing. So, I mean, I think the Vikings, obviously their ceiling is NFC North title this year. I don't know if it's Super Bowl. I have them at about 3%. Um, their floor is a lot lower than I think Vikings fans are giving it credit for because of the offensive line. Like if, if things go 2016 on it, I just don't see it happening for Kirk. Um, and we've seen years where the offensive line can't stay healthy and can't block. So. So, so I guess we'll, we'll wrap it up with, uh, I'm going to ask you something that's like super far fetched then. So let's say things go like, yeah, the offensive line just implodes or whatever. You said, what are the outs? Like, are there conceivable outs? Like, are there outs that actually exist for this team? Because as, you know, was being kind of talked about in the group chat the other day, like, Kirk's contract isn't guaranteed, but for all intents and purposes, it seems to be pretty well guaranteed. So are there even, like, crazy trades that one can imagine if things went sideways? Because I, I, I seem like it'd be hard-pressed to get Zimmer to agree to, like, a, we're just shutting Kirk down situation. Yeah, I mean, it almost would have to be an Eagles with Bradford sort of situation, right? Where, but, you know, I, I can't see them drafting a quarterback in the first round, um, especially not. I mean, the Eagles, think about the balls that it took for them. I mean, they traded from the middle of the first round all the way to two while they had Bradford as their quarterback making, you know, 20-ish million dollars a year. Um, I don't see the Vikings ever doing that, but that's kind of what I would, you know, if you find a desperate team that's, that, that wants to, like if, if Garoppolo sucks for the next couple of years, that's certainly a possibility. I know, you know, Shanahan likes Cousins, so, you know, maybe flip him over to San Francisco and get a high draft pick or something like that if that were to happen. Um, those, those types of things I think can get them out, but I just don't see it necessarily in the current, you know, restraints that they have. All right, and Nick? You'll, you'll end this on a more on the most positive of notes because, you know, you're living the dream right now. You're living the life that all of us wish we were living at this very moment. Tell me the story about how it all goes right for the Vikings. Like, what are the things that you would, would need to break when you're imagining, you know, that magical run for the Vikings this year and the deep playoff run and maybe making it to the Super Bowl? What does that look like in your mind's eye? How does it actually unfold? How do we see it all coming together so that the Vikings are able to, to shock the world with their makeshift offensive line and their secondary full of rookies? Well, this is a very talented roster. You know, ESPN came out today with their list of top, you know, projected 2020 top 100 players. Vikings were tied with the most players on the list of anybody. They had seven guys on there. Uh, tied with the Chiefs and with the Saints, two extremely talented rosters. So you combine that top-end talent with Gary Kubiak and Mike Zimmer, who I think are both, you know, I think Zimmer is a top-five defensive mind in the NFL. I think Kubiak is, you know, probably in the top 10-ish range. There's a lot of really smart offensive minds, but 
Kubiak is kind of the grandmaster of this entire wide zone scheme that's taken the NFL by storm. So um, you can certainly see, you know, they've got pieces in place. So I think where the luck comes into play and where, you know, things really break their way is if, if, if the holes in the roster wind up pat, being patched up. So, you know, if Pat Elfline, you know, if maybe he's finally healthy, maybe the problem was that he just was banged up and now he's finally healthy. He's at right guard and he's okay. And maybe Dakota Dozier doesn't suck. And maybe Bradbury, or maybe, maybe Dozier does suck, but maybe Bradbury makes such a, you know, a Jason Kelsey like leap where he's just so good his next year that, that helps out a lot. And then, you know, maybe Brian O'Neill becomes an elite right tackle. So you see progression. You see Adam Thielen returning to 2018 form where he's a top 10 wide receiver. Justin Jefferson hits the ground running. Ola B.C. Johnson, you know, makes a leap like he looks like he is in camp. And then on defense, you know, Harrison Smith and Anthony Harris pick up where they left off. Same thing with Eric Hendricks. And I think Unique Ngakwe and Daniil Hunter doesn't take much homerism to say that, you know, those guys are going to, those guys are going to get after the quarterback and rack up a lot of sacks. Maybe we'll see someone like Armin Watts or Hercules Mata'afa step up in terms of pass rush. But, you know, they have talent. It's just a matter of is, is the, are, are the bottom tier guys, the, the Shamar Steffens, the Pat Elflines, the, the Dakota Dozers, are those guys enough to drag the top end talent, the Eric Hendricks, the Daniil Hunters, the Adam Thielens? Uh, are those guys bad enough to drag the, the blue chip guys down? And I think you can see a situation where the coaches um, make it all work together and in a fairly soft division where if they get into the playoff, win the division, and then from there, you know, luck just needs to break their way, which, you know, we saw Kirk go on a run in Kirktober last year. If Kirk goes on that same kind of run in January, well, that's Joe Flacco with Kubiak. So, or, you know, that, that's the Joe Flacco run. So that's kind of what we're looking at. So I think that's how it could all work together and combine it. It's, it's a long shot, but it's definitely possible. All right. I love it. And uh, I guess, you know, last question, both of you rapid fire. Eric, do you have a pick for Mr. Mankato? Oh, it's got to be. It's got to be uh, Dantzler, doesn't it? Me late roundish pick, not late, but he's not a first, you know. You know that that's kind of what it is. Okay, Dantzler and Nick, how about you? I think Dantzler is definitely the guy who's gotten the most hype, and it seems like he really deserves it because it seems like as of now he's beaten out Gladney for you know the third wider the third cornerback position, which is that's. You know, going up against a first-round quarterback and beating him for it, that's like a big leap. I think, though, that technically the Mr. Mankato rule applies, you know, it has to be like fourth round or later. So if we're going by, like, the technical rules, I would say Alexander Hollins is the guy, um, somebody who, you know, kind of flashed a little bit in, in end of the season last year. But then it, it, he was kind of on the outside looking in, and now he's just made play after play after play in camp. Really seems like he could be the next, you know, late-round wide receiver – I don't want to compare him to Diggs or Thielen, but that, that same archetype of some guy who comes in, you know, is not heralded at all, expected to be a special teams guy at best, and then just keeps making plays, and people keep turning their heads and say, who is this guy? And eventually, you know, maybe he'll be something down the road. But, you know, I think he's pretty exciting. But I think if we're going by who's had the best camp, it's got to be Dantzler. Boom, and now a uh, shout-out to our friends at uh, Pro Football Focus. They, uh, they let us know that was a, a great pick even before that pick happens. So, uh, yeah, maybe those guys, those analytics people, maybe they know a little something about Maybe, them. maybe. <laughs> maybe. We'll see. Maybe, just maybe. Well, gentlemen, it's been too long. Thank you for making the time. And, uh, yeah, the season is, is right around the corner. So we'll, uh, we'll be doing this a little bit more often. Just yes. Awesome. Thank sticking with us. Gentlemen, thanks for coming on. Nick, get back to the beach. And uh, <laughs> we'll talk to you soon. Have a good one. Peace. Yeah.